Hello, and welcome to another Newton and Co podcast for Eye for the Light. I'm here as usual with my co-host David. David, how are you today? I'm very well, Chris. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. This is the first of our series of remote recordings we've got coming up because you're off in one direction and I'm off in another. And inevitably, the people we talk to are somewhere else. We're all remote this time. Makes a, makes a bit of a change. It could be fabulously spectacular or a complete mess, but uh, we'll, we'll yeah. see. He's still in bed, by the way, for anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> it's only eight in the morning. What are you on about? Yeah. Anyway. We have got today, uh, appropriately enough, um, another another nomad to join us, uh, a photographer um, who, well, the name will never tell you which country he lives in. Um, his, his name is Marek Biergalski, uh, and I've known him long enough that I should have got that right, but I'm sure he'll tell me if I didn't. He is Polish originally, and currently finds himself living in Ireland, and he is, oh, I don't know, how, what, what order am I going to go with this? Aerial and landscape? and nature photographer in that order, and also a, a, a trainer, uh, a bit like me, for Canon. So, Marek, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Uh, great to have you here. Hello, Chris and David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Did I, did I get everything in in that introduction? I think I did. Did I miss anything? Yes, you did it right, and I was very, very uh, surprised that you did it actually pronunciation perfectly. So, yes. Well, so was I. well done, well done. <laughs> I've, I've known you long enough, you'd have shot me if I got it wrong. Uh, so, um, yes, Marek, as, as I said in the introduction, you're Polish, but you, you live in Ireland. How on earth did that come to be? It doesn't seem the most obvious place for a Polish person to go and live. Um, yes, I'm a native uh, born uh, in Poland in the 70s and travel around the world for a little bit and then decide to settle in the beautiful country of Ireland. And my paradox is, as a landscape photographer, that I have traveled for almost 15 years and I've seen over 70 countries in my life, but I had no camera at the time. So I uh, settled and live in Ireland. I explore uh, the world, uh, photography world uh, proper once again. I've been working on the cruise ship and then uh, I've been visiting all these beautiful countries, but photography, everything started here in, in Ireland when I came in 2005. I mean, you've seen a lot of the world, you've seen a lot of beautiful places. What was it about Ireland that sparked the interest in photography? How did that not happen sooner? Um, I put it this way, there was purely economical decision for me uh, coming to Ireland and uh, settling. But to be honest with you, just before that one year, I have decided that this is the place where I could actually stay and live in. Uh, Ireland is such a beautiful country. And when it comes to photography, you know, landscape photography, especially Iceland is a paradise as well it's an incredible country full of greens and the beautiful cliffs and ocean west coast north south wherever you go it's just absolutely phenomenal country uh, to live in i know it's not probably the best for the people who love the sunshine and the warm uh, temperature border it's, it's it's still fascinating country to live in so i'm very very happy here for the last 20 years I'm actually going to pick up on what i suspect may have been a freudian slip there because we were talking about ireland and then you said Iceland, which is somewhere else I know you spend an awful lot of time. You've told us a bit about Ireland. Tell us a little bit about Iceland and, and why that's important to you as well. Yes, Iceland, I have to say, Iceland, it's become my, uh, my another home. Uh, since 2019, when I visited for the very, very first time, obviously, as a landscape photographer, it is must on the bucket list of everyone. 
So once I put my feet on this beautiful, amazing land of fire and ice, people call it, I knew I will keep coming back. Uh, so my first, very, very, very first visit to Iceland, my trip lasts for nine days. And then I knew immediately uh, that I will be keep coming back in here. Um, as a landscape photographer and a nature lover, uh, I would I would say, I think Iceland, it's, it's just incredible how versatile the scenery can be. All these weather anomalies create incredible dynamic from the rainbows to the storms, heavy clouds to the northern lights. As a landscape photographer in Iceland, you can find everything. I've been always dreaming about changing the perspective. As a landscape photographer, you, you both probably know, as you do photography as well, that we all seek for unique, unique uh, perspective, unique vision and uh, uh, unique images. So Iceland, I've seen a couple of images, aerial images from Iceland. And in 2019, I bought my first drone on my second trip coming back to Iceland, my, I bought the first drone without practice bringing in right to Iceland. And I have to say, my photography has changed a lot since perspective. It's just incredible. And you don't have to fly very, very high. You don't have to fly to whatever. Sometimes you lift the drone, the perspective for, let's say, 15, 20 meters. And as a human, we, we see things from different perspectives. But once you go a little bit up high, uh, everything can change uh, beyond imagination. Was it Iceland that led you to drones? Was it you felt like you couldn't capture Iceland adequately enough that then led you to a drone? Or was it just, hey, a drone seems fun, let's give that a go? I have seen a couple of aerial images taken from actually from the plane. And I simply couldn't believe what I have seen it. And I said, wow, the drone was the first thing came to my mind. The drone could help me actually to get a little bit of that. So when I bought my first drone and I bring it in with me to Iceland, I start to explore. And then I find out that this is completely different scenery, different dimension of landscape. So I base now... You know, like when you go to places like some of places in Iceland or in, in general, there could be some places where you can go and you can just copy another image from the same spot because there's very, very limitation when it comes to the possibilities of taking different angles. With the drone, everything has changed. You can stand in the same space, uh, place as everyone else with, uh, with, with the cameras, but once you lift your drone up a little bit up high, a little bit farther or to the different angle, it, the, the scenery is completely changing. I have following love. I've been always drawn into the polar regions. I've seen a lot of countries, including Greenland, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and Iceland. And I always fascinate with that very raw surrealistic landscape. But the glacier rivers, the stream of glacier river has been absolutely beyond imagination. I actually have a project and I call it Beyond the Imagination. Imagination. This is related to the glacier stream of glacier braiding rivers. They've seen incredible, fascinated thing from up high. And what even more fascinating about that is that all this landscape, it's created by nature and it can change with the season. It happened to me many, many times when I planned to visit the same location previously again, uh, the actual scenery has changed. So some of the location, some of the images you cannot copy again because the scenery has changed. And this is absolutely another kind of uh, a very uh, uh, unique uh, factor when it comes to aerial photography. 
It's interesting to hear you talk about drones because it's obviously been quite transformational for landscape photographers to have such difference in viewpoint and perspective. How do you, with that bird's eye view, combine that sort of imagery with your on-the-ground landscape work? When it comes to uh, ground photography and aerial photography, I find it very distracting when you're trying to do both. As a professional landscape photographer, I do believe the key part in producing the images is research and preparation. If I plan my images uh, to take it from the ground, I, I try to uh, look and um, research on the factor like how is the weather, what time is the sunrise, about the tides, what's the forecast, what's the uh, uh, sun position and things like that. And on the basis of this information, I'm deciding if I will go or where I would go. When it comes to aerial photography, it, it's a bit of tricky because the wind is a major factor you're looking at. And also, of course, you're looking at the, the forecast. If it's raining, you, you of course, cannot uh, fly. But uh, it's a very tricky part and you need to get and prepared on either one of them. So at least that's applied to me. So every single time when I go to Iceland, I decide what I'm going to do, what I'm going to concentrate on the day. Uh, because it's it's completely different thing, you know. It's it's uh, and and it's very very distracting uh, for me. There's a location you cannot easily access, even with the drone, because they are far away and drone drone have limitations. And uh, so I also fly a plane, and I shoot with Canon equipment. Uh, I use on the daily basis. So uh, a combination drone. It's not only the uh, a combination aerial, it's not only drone, it's also uh, photography uh, from the plane using photography equipment. In landscape photography, lots of things have to come together. So you've mentioned the weather, um, knowledge of, of the landscape you're photographing, the changing light. And for a lot of photographers, pre-visualization is quite an important element in, in their photography. How do you do that when you're shooting from the air? Mm. There is a lot of, I'm, I'm totally agree what you just said that, yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, like a fully conscious uh, photographer now, when I go shoot from the ground, I already know what I want. When it comes to the aerial photography, um, it's very, very similar, uh, Chris, because I spend a lot of time on the researching. I use the Google Maps and I go inch by inch, zooming in and out, and I see more or less what's out there. However, as I mentioned uh, um, uh, before, the scenery may change. There may, there could be, let's say, if I'm planning to do, and I see some beautiful, let's say, patterns or or anything, and then if two or three days before I plan to go for the shot, as a, the rain fall, the you know the rain may 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 cover those, let's say, patterns. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the glacial rivers, for example, and they may be not that visible as you would expect that as you were planning. So uh, it's a it's, it's a very, very tricky part uh, when it comes to aerial photography, especially when you're shooting like, a, you know, uh, rivers and you're shooting uh, glaciers and things. They, they can change very, very quickly. I find it interesting, uh, you mentioned the wind being a major factor with drones. It seems like a bit of a, well, a bit of a paradox that uh, you choose Iceland to go and shoot since every one of my Icelandic friends says that the only thing that annoys me about Iceland is the effing wind. Yeah. Does it, does it, <laughs> I mean, obviously you don't live in Iceland. How, how often do you get like a, a 
you can use the phrase a blown out shoot you go up there you've flown to iceland you're ready to go and no the weather doesn't allow it yeah it's what happened to me about my very first visit to iceland i yeah i've learned a lot and i've learned the hard way <laughs> so i i lost a drone i lost a drone and so since then i come back to iceland with two drones <laughs> And uh, touch the wood until today. They, you know, nothing happened to me. It's it's a um, it's it's good to have, you know, for peace of mind. If, when I do planning, guys, it takes me about three four months to my planning. So when I when when I'm going, I'm deciding on the day which direction. I always have a plan A, B, and sometimes even C. So if the weather doesn't cooperate on the plan A, I switch to plan B. If plan B is not working, I'm having a plan C. So basically, yeah, the, the wind is just incredible. I, I live in country of, of a lot of wind, people, you know, we have in here. But when it comes to Iceland, it's just, it's so, so different. And I'm talking about people losing their door from the car when, when they, you know, unfortunate parking and the wind is blowing. Yeah, I've seen the, I've seen the door from the, from the cars flying off. It could be that drastically. Obviously, you don't fly those time things. You don't do anything. Pretty much, you should be just uh, keep indoor. To answer your question, it like last year I went to Iceland for two weeks, and for the first week I fly my drone every day. For the following week, I didn't even took out of the back because the weather has changed. And unfortunate for me, wherever I would go around Iceland at that week, it was impossible to fly. So that could be very, very, very tricky. But last year. Last week of August and the first week of September, I've managed to fly my drone for two weeks every day. And I was actually tired of sun and I was very disappointed because there was very little clouds. So, which is, which is, you know, I, I did a lot of glacier rivers, aerial stuff, a lot, but when it comes to landscape, I couldn't do so much because there were no clouds. And I do believe the clouds gives huge impact into the image. It fills the image completely. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of nature. You can predict those things. But once you make your way out there, there's always some very little window opportunity. You get, let's say, uh, an hour because the wind slow down enough to lift your drone up high. And as long as it's not raining and you're at the great location, you may have a chance to capture some nice images. We're going to stick with aerial, the aerial theme. You've talked a lot about glacial rivers. Iceland, you said fire and ice. Obviously, volcanoes play a big part in the formation of geology of Iceland, and certainly drones in the last couple of years seem to have ignited a passion for people in photographing volcanoes. Have you got involved in that? How have you found it? What, what are the hazards? How do you go about doing it? Tell us a bit more. Yes, volcanoes, it's something, something <laughs> which I really, really, it's fascinated me a lot. And I have to say, for the last four eruptions, I've managed to, to see three of them. The first one was uh, Volcano Gelding Gadalir in 2021 in uh, Grindavik Peninsula, not too far away from Reykjavik. Huge eruption began in March, and I've managed to visit uh, the site in September. It's uh, so fascinating. I was very, very frustrated when, when we got there. There was a hike for about 10 kilometers one way, very difficult, rocky terrain. When I get there, trying to fly my drone, volcano went quiet. So imagine that, how frustrated it was for me. So I left the site and then I come back. I was traveling for about two weeks around Iceland and then I received the alert that volcano is kicking again. So 
I just quickly changed the plans and we went to Volcano again. And that was one of the most spectacular evening of my life, I would say, with all this firework, volcano, throwing the lava. When it comes to drone photography, there was, a, there was only one way of justify and see this from amazing aerial perspective. It is very, very difficult and very, very um, dangerous at some point, as I do believe right now that all the volcano sites that they are the biggest graveyard of drones because we, you may have responsible people. You may have people who know what they do. And I do believe I'm one of them. But I've seen people flying the drone very irresponsible. I've seen people fly drone just above the surface of lava when they were coming back. They land the drone on their hand and the drone stick into somebody's hand because it was melting underneath. So I've seen all these incredible accidents as well. There's a lot of interference as well. So if you ever approach the side volcano and see low clouds, just last year, I was flying my drone and next to one of the very famous photographers, I won't mention the name, and the guy actually worked for DJI. So he fly his drone, so do I. And then suddenly his drone, he lost the control about his drone due to the very high interference. And then the drone literally hit the face, somebody else just a couple of meters away from him. So it was shocking. It was shocking because there were a lot of people, a lot of people there. And the drone obviously decided to do his own thing. I think try to land it or something and hit somebody else's face and injured the person quite badly. So there's a lot of challenges. And I have to say, I have to say, I have flown my drone over Volcano many, many times, but I always took an extra caution because the first thing, you don't want to lose your drone. You don't want to hurt anybody because that's consequences. You want to capture some, you know, nice images, but it's either ground photography and aerial photography. Always, I try to be responsible and careful. And I do believe there is no shot worth to take any risk. Okay, that's been always my uh, seats at the back of my head that there could be always another chance. There could be another opportunity, but uh, not everybody thinking that way. And I have to say uh, that volcano sites are proof that many people just at any cost, they just want to get whatever they want to they wanna get. It's very challenging. Is it dangerous? Obviously, the lava itself, it's about 1,200 degrees centigrade. People like to take the images very close to the lava. And that could be also very, very dangerous because there's a lot of hazards comes with that as well. You've touched on the technical difficulties there of, of photographing volcanoes with the drone. Let's take it a little bit broader. I've often heard drone photography described as not real photography. It's just flying a remote camera into places. How long did it take you to get to grips with using a drone and starting to produce really good images? I disagree with the thoughts. Obviously, any tool allows you to capture an image, including drone. There's also, as I mentioned to you, I, I fly a plane and I shoot from the plane with the photography equipment. It means this doesn't apply as a photography. I strongly believe that any tool can help you to, to basically capture some images. I have to say, I took my drone to Iceland for the very, very first time. I literally opened out of the box in Iceland. So I was very, very nervous same time, you know, how do I do it? But being in Iceland, very, very remote country, you can have some places for yourself, whatever you go, whatever you do, 
the location I have scouted and, and I went to, there were very, you know, there was very, very little people around me that give me flexibility of just get used to. And I have to say, if you fly for one week every day for a couple of hours, let's say, you pretty much master, you know, the general general rules how to how to use the drone. Another factor is there is no drone with camera built in. Like I do, I use uh, DJI drones, and uh, they they have an amazing uh, now it's a micro four thirds uh, sensor from Hasselblad, and previously there was one inch from Hasselblad, which are amazing, but they are still far away. When it comes to quality from the camera so uh, uh you need to apply a certain technique like i do bracketing so increase my dy- dynamic range and the quality of my images each individual shot comes from at least three exposures so when i blend them together i'm increasing the dynamic range so i can do a little bit of uh, editing and and get a little bit more details at what point since you're a canon shooter do you go, you know, I'm going to put an R5 on the bottom of a drone and, and fly a Matrix 600 or something similar? Jesus, I can't wait when this happens, when the Canon eventually will produce a device with or, or any other DJI with a sensor from R5. That would be incredible, David. You know equipment very well. You know the brand, what the sensor are capable to. I do believe the dynamic range from R5 is absolutely crazy. Even if you if you make huge mistake, you can still pull back and then having still amazing pictures. And having said that, 45 million pixels, if you shoot this on the bracket, oh my God, there's almost no no limit when it comes to editing. Well, I mean, I, I guess my question is, it is possible to put an R5 on a drone. It just needs to be a significantly bigger drone. Is the only reason you stick with the Mavic range just because they're smaller and more portable? Or is it the integration that DJI gives? It's the seamless process of flying and shooting, whereas if you stick a camera on a drone, it, it's a bit more cumbersome? I have to say, for the project uh, I am involved in, and I do, I still am getting what I want at. From the from the DJI, but I would love to get a drone which could carry US R5, for example, with 2470. That probably would be ideal, ideal combination because the quality out of this is just phenomenal. Like I'm I'm amazed. I, I, technology evolving very very quickly, so I do believe drone will expand more when it comes to the quality of the sensors and and the optics. But that's also applied to the uh, to the photography equipment. And I have to say that you know I'm. R5, it's already two years on the market, and I do believe or more than that. And I think it's still beyond what a general consumer really wants it. And I often say that if I could only leave 30% of the feature I use on the R5 and get the refund from, <laughs> from the Canon and, and allow them to take the other 70% of what's, what's in the camera, I would be delighted for it. But yeah, it is amazing technology. And I do believe like R5 can make every type of photography very very happy for whatever the type of photography they do let's pick up on something you mentioned there you said for the project you've been doing in iceland uh, you know we talked about the equipment Can you give us a bit more about that project what's the goal okay so um yeah since 2021 i'm working on the project and we are on the verge of launching in february we have an official opening in poland in warsaw it is a global brand called Leo, which is based on the nature and the earth, artworks. And my part in the project is that uh, I'm actually producing the aerial images of the glacial rivers without the human hand in them. So it's a pure nature, 
they are all aerial images with the drone and also as i mentioned to you sometimes i fly the plane to the very you know very difficult and uh, less accessible uh, location uh, you need to actually get into the plane and and do it this way so i'm using both equipment and i'm shooting directional because that is the probably the best perspective uh, you can get and i'm based on these incredible colors for the ground the glacial river the braid they call them braiding braiding rivers they are coming from the glacier through to the volcanic background uh, through to the channels and the rivers carrying different sediments that's why when you look at those images, they're very, very abstract and they come from different colors. And this is because they carry the sediments and the different minerals. And when these strong currents blend with little shallows, this create incredible, fascinating, colorful compositions. So uh, I collaborate with the com company Leo will produce the images in 3D dimensional printing. What we're trying to aim for, it's not only visual aspect that you can touch, you can you can look at it and you can feel it same time when you're touching calls. It's, it's, it looks fascinating, can't wait to share with you more. I have received the samples home. I, you know, I'm, you know, I, I was amazed with the quality of it. And now we come into final stage, a uh, grand opening and um, yeah, introduce our collaboration and a final product. Uh, 3D printing in February next, uh, sorry, in February this year. You've touched there on the actual pictures that you're taking and your passion for the photography and for the art comes through. How do you turn that into an income? Good question. <laughs> Good question, Chris. I have to say I've been, I've been participating in photography counters for last five, seven years maybe. And I have to say, I was fortunate getting a couple of recognition and awards as well. And this would be one of the very, very first thing I start to think it this way. How would I make a living of it, really? So I do, true to my work, and I do believe photography counts because that where you get your, you know, you, you start to network and you start to having the emails asking for different type of collaboration. So at the moment, I'm working with the brand Leo, as I mentioned to you, and I also work with a couple of clothing brands. So basically, one of the reasons I went to Iceland for so many times recently was because one of the brands I'm collaborating with required from me more images of the lava. So there will be new a new collection of, of clothing with the design of lava. Um, I also sell, sell the prints as well, and I do a lot of courses. I'm I'm a speaker, so I'm trying to yeah, trying to monetize, you know, all my you know experience um, that way. And does that give you a living wage yet? I, at the moment, I'm working. I've been working with Canon for over for almost seven years as a free, free, freelancer, and I used to run photography workshops and the courses. However, the COVID has verified everything and changed and shows you how this you can really rely on this one. This could be just me, but I do believe I choose the wrong path and fortunately for me i've got a lot of questions for you know collaborating on different backgrounds and platform and that makes me yeah steady income and the, the photo competitions have helped have they they've given you a, a platform to do that or not yeah the, the photography competition of course i have to say like you know i've been i've been fortunate to win uh 
runner-up last year in the travel photographer and this opened for me a lot of different opportunities that you know it's 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 it's, it's, it's phenomenal the networking it's very very important you're meeting the people and the the, the propositions start to uh, you know come in you know this way and that way and then yeah you just see what's best for you and then you take advantage of this you're, on your website, you've also got some nature photography and some portraiture. Do these form part of your commercial work or are they a bit more personal, project, fun? Where do they sit? Absolutely. The, yeah, I, I have to say on the beginning of my photography journey, I have explored many different types. So I started with the landscape then I kind of walk away from it and I started doing the portrait and the people and commercial. And I just start to doing a little bit of wildlife and then the sports and action style. What my true passion is from the land to the landscape and the nature. Um, but I also love people. I love human. And one of my best models, it's my very own daughter. She doesn't posing anymore. But when she was about six until yeah, 10, 11, yeah, I, I managed to um, convince to, to do some work with me. And I used to organize photography events as well in the past here in Dublin and yeah, photographing people and mainly fine art, but I, I find fascinating looking, you know, when somebody looking direct you in the, in the camera in some, you know, certain way. So I, I, I love that part as well, but it's more fun. It's, this is not, not something I would do for the living. Chris already mentioned your passion for photography and particularly for, for landscape and the natural world is I mean, evident for everyone to see or in this case here. The next few years, what do they look like for you? Where are you hoping that photography, aerial photography, landscape photography is going to lead you? What, what do you really want to achieve with it? Yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, of things happening, a lot of preparation and thinking what's next. I do believe I have a couple of projects already started. So I will be traveling to Bolivia next year and I have Utah and California. This is purely for uh, uh, aerial photography. I have started already a project called um, Farmlands in Spain. It's a, it's a quite uh, a large project as well. So this is so much going on already and I do believe, uh, yeah, we just concentrate on those things and God knows what's, what's the time going to bring what I will be doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very positive. The one thing I always been, been saying very loud, I never put any pressure on me. Like, you know, I do believe you need to take it, you know, easy planning, doing what you believe it's, it's beneficial and good for you. Uh, but sometimes the road may change for better. So Bolivia and, and the States and Spain, are they personal projects or are they commissions? They both. They bit of both. I, wherever I go, I always have something for my personal needs. And also, I think, you know, how to feel the economical part of it and, and, and make, make, a, make some money out of it as well. But I do believe the project with Leo, it could lead to really, really a, a larger perspective. And I truly believe that the product and the vision of the company may lead to really, really a fantastic adventure in the future. I get the impression at the moment that the things you're doing, your main concern is covering the costs rather than making a, a huge profit. Is that fair to say, or are you now getting to the point where you can really monetize these things? I have to say, I have to say, yes, that the financial aspect of the preparation, everything is huge. Many people think 
you know, I'm not going to talk about the equipment, but expenses, like if you go into countries like Iceland, if you go into like Bolivia or whatever, whatever, it's, it's a huge investment. And when you sell, when you, when you, when you sell your images, you need to take under consideration. Yeah. What would be the, the value of it that can help you to cover the next stage. So I have invested a lot myself. I have to say some of the project I, I, I earn money from, I invent this money towards the future. I just, I, I risk it. I risk it because I, there is always chance that you're not going to get the money back. But fortunately for me, I think I have chose the right direction and right path. And yeah, there is a, I have really monetized very, very well for the last two years. Brilliant. That's really good to hear, particularly for someone that, because you're working in the landscape field, it's traditionally not one that monetizes especially well, or perhaps it's, it's harder to monetize in the landscape field. It is very, very, very hard. But I came to, I never forget, I had a conversation with, with the winner last year of Travel Photographer of the Year, Mattia Kesman, and he said to me one thing, imagery is one thing, but you need to pick up your imagery with the backs, you know, with the background, with the story. And I, and I was thinking about it seriously, and then I start to actually, when I publish my images, I just equally important I, I took as a consideration is the image but there also has to be the story and explanation what we're looking at why is that where was taken how was taken and things like that and i start to see huge difference from the audience from from the people and that's where the propositions start to come in from because once you make understand people what they're looking at why is this so unique you think some people may take this very very different way than than normally you think and yes I put it this way, I never thought I would be making such a good profit from being a landscape photographer, but I do believe my work has, I had a photographer bring my work to the next level, and I'm very, very happy that people looking, those days, people really looking purely for nature and, and see how fragile, beautiful it is and how important it is. So uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really positive uh, about what's going to be in the future. And do you think that climate change is boosting the importance of landscape photography? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Things are changing. When you're talking about the land, Iceland, not many people know. So where everybody goes, oh, I want to see glacier. I want to walk on the ice. I want to see this, this and that. But the, the actually, the glacier started disappearing. The last one died in 2011, just gone. Disappearing. Greenland is melting very, very quickly. There's just so many things. I don't want to go that direction. We, we all know, we, we all hear all about that. But uh, yeah, it is very, very important, especially now. So as a, as a visual artist, I'm, I'm very happy that my work can bring awareness. And that's exactly, as I said earlier, you know, giving the image and the, and the story behind it, what we're looking at, why is this, uh, may open eyes uh, to the audience and think, you know, just look at around you. And yeah, try to protect as much we can. Uh, there's things already has been changed. We cannot turn back, but we can slow uh, diversity going the wrong way. We often have a, a sense of gloom when we talk about climate change. But are you finding, and especially with your photography, there are positive stories coming out of it as well? 
Yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I I see a lot. I see a lot of positive changes. In 2017, I was uh, joining the expedition in Greenland, and uh, there was a two science um, uh, traveling with us in the west northwest Greenland. Uh, they were looking for sign of polar bears because they did believe that the polar bears are actually, you know, the population is decreasing. And it turned out that, you know, on the base of the science, uh, I, I keep in touch with those people. And after some times I, I heard from them that actually, because we humans, we start to explore very, very, so much, so much further, so much more. We, we wanted to travel everywhere. So uh, the population of polar bears just moved up north. So they're absolutely fine. They're okay. But because of that, that they, they want to avoid being around the humans they just literally move or move up not so which which was a very very good and positive um uh, science yeah it's fascinating to hear your perspective on photography i think that's probably a nice place to stop unless you've got another question you want to ask david of, of course i have another question chris there's, there's, <laughs> there's one question you you know i'm never going to let you end uh, end the talk without that question so marek given given what we've talked about your history around uh, travel and then incorporating photography uh, and then visiting new places, so on and so forth. I think you, you're going to hopefully have a good answer for this one. So if you could look back with everything that you've learned over the years of travel and of photography and of, in this case, particularly monetizing landscape photography, if you could give the younger you, I'm almost going to guess what your answer might be, but if, I, if you could give the younger you one piece of advice that you've learned up till now, what would it be? Never give up. Follow your dreams. Don't put the pressure on you. Let the things be. And one day you may be successful. You may be rewarded with things you never thought. That's not what I thought you were going to say, but it's very good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pick up a camera younger. <laughs> well, in, in fairness with you, I, I, I have to say uh, things doesn't happen just like that. I, I pick up my camera when I was well after 30. My adventure with photography become when I when I was over thirty, and of course I will have this additional ten years, at least, uh, so I could hike a lot, volcanoes and stuff like that. But uh, look, I'm happy where I am. This is again, you know, don't put any pressure. I took, I was I was blessed to. I'm not regretting that I could be early or anything like that. I'm very happy that this this happened to me anyway. So. Well, there's a key, a couple of words that you said there, which I think is important for everybody. You're happy with where you are. And that is all anyone can hope for from life, I think, is to be happy with where they are at any given time. So yep. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I think there we go, Chris, unless you've got any more questions. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Thank you. I think that's been really interesting, Marek. Um, been nice to get both the test technical and the artistic aspects of landscape photography and what you're doing and also to bring in the the aerial photography the drone photography gives people a different perspective so thank you very much for your time it's been brilliant talking to you and good luck with everything absolutely just from me as well thank you for sharing your passion thank you very much chris and david uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for having me